Welcome to Nature Centered, a podcast from Wild Birds Unlimited about feeding the birds and enjoying nature right in your own backyard. Here are your hosts, naturalists John Schaust and Brian Cunningham. Well, hello, everybody. I'm John Schaust. And I am Brian Cunningham. And welcome to another episode of Nature Centered, our podcast about, of course, nature. This is episode two, Orange is the New Blast. And that's a new title. Nature threw that at us because migration this year with Orioles has been phenomenal. And it's been a blast for those folks that have these in their backyard. That's been absolutely incredible this year. We're going to talk today about fun facts, um, their foraging techniques, about nesting. And we do have an activity for you and the kids to do. Plus, as always, so important to talk about habitat in your yard and what you can do to help uh, attract these amazing Orioles to your backyard. Hummingbirds, move over. It's time to talk Orioles and how we get them in our backyards. So stick around for the fun. Brian, 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 we're talking Orioles. Cannot tell you how much they are adding to everybody's excitement in the backyard this past week during migration. Definitely one of my favorite birds, yours. Oh, they, yes. I just love to listen to them sing. I love to watch when they come back. I, I also get excited to hear about other people's excitement when the Orioles start showing up in their yard and coming to their feeders. You know, it's been so much fun to watch Facebook and all the social media platforms uh, just lighting up with photo after photo after photo of Orioles in people's backyards. Some amazing photos with literally dozens upon dozens of Orioles. So, yeah, they are, my wife calls them the, uh, backyard confetti because uh, it's, it's like somebody just threw a bunch of confetti up in the air. There have been so many of them in our backyard this, this past week, which has not always been that way. So it's really cool. We, I tried many, many years to, to get these birds to come to my backyard. And, and this is one of those amazing things that has changed in the hobby of backyard bird feeding. Not many people historically, you know, go back just a, a handful of years, were able to attract Orioles to their backyards. And we've learned a lot. And boy, it seems like every year we're getting better and better at getting these these birds uh, come during migration and you know even come during the summertime when they're nesting in our area. Yeah it's been really neat to watch over the years how Orioles just weren't that big of a backyard bird feeding species. They weren't a big visitor but now oh, just watching and, and the theory of you know they're teaching their offspring where to go find food. They're teaching them that bird feeders are a source for supplemental food. So man to, to watch that over the years to see so many more Orioles coming to feeders. So much fun with that. Um, you know, there are a number of Oriole species in North America and, you know, United States, Canada, U.S. usually gets about six to eight different kinds of Oriole species. But today we're really going to focus on two, the Baltimore Oriole, which is more in the east, and the Bullock's Oriole, which is more in the west. Um, but everything we're talking about today with all of these Orioles, there's a lot of crossover and similarity in general about their foraging, what they feed on, their nesting, their attractiveness to feeders, and so on. So mostly you're just going to hear us focus on Baltimore's and Bullock's today. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, and they're a member, us naturalists always go back, what family, what group of uh, birds are they in, you know? And, and this is kind of a surprising one because they're, they're in the blackbird family. And, and that's kind of an interesting, you know, you've got your kind of drab, dark blackbirds that are out there. And you wouldn't think these incredibly beautiful birds uh, with all the bright oranges and the, the, the orchard oriole with its cinnamon, et cetera, et cetera, would be, you know, this 
Blackbird, but it, it actually is, and it, and it goes along. There are some other really cool ones. Bobolinks are in the blackbird family. Meadowlarks are also, so you do have some other colorful birds. But yeah, they're a real bright spot in your backyard. That, that's just amazing to think. Even back in the day, you know, you talk about the Bullets Oriole and the Baltimore Oriole. It used to be called the Northern Oriole. And through all the genetic studies, they found out that actually the Bullock's Oriole and the Baltimore Oriole, they look very similar, but they're actually two separate species. And this was decided to stop calling them the Northern Oriole back around 1995. Now the, the Northern, or excuse me, haha, ha, see, <laughs> everyone's slip back into that. That Baltimore Oriole and, the, and the, the Bullock's Oriole actually will still, even though they're separate species, will do some interbreeding where the, the East and West ranges overlap right along the Great Plains there. So it's kind of interesting that even though they're different species, there's some some overlap there with some of the breeding. Yeah, and I I am a little longer in tooth than, than Brian. I go back uh, a few more years, and even back when I first was really getting into birding back in the uh, in the 70s, uh, they were actually called the Bullocks and and Baltimore then, and then they changed it. They thought, well, wait a minute, they interbreed, so they must be one species. So now we're calling them the Northern Oriole. And then they did the genetics and found out they are separate. Now they're back to being the Bullocks and the Baltimore. So for some birders, it's like, oh, come on, just leave it alone. You know, for, just <laughs> land on one name and stay there. So, and speaking of names, where did the, where did the, how, why Baltimore? That's kind of, a, where did that name come from? Well, it's, I always love hearing, you know, where do the names come from? Yeah, yeah. And this one goes back to the uh, early part of the U.S., the 1600s and, and literally in Baltimore. Uh, there was a gentleman who kept his barn painted this bright yellow and black, and his name was George Calvert, and he was the Baron, distinguished Baron of Baltimore. So somewhere along the line, the transition was made that, well, that's the Baron of Baltimore. The barn looks exactly like an Oriole, so let's name that bird the Baltimore Oriole. And as you can guess, it is now the state bird of Maryland. Why not? Yeah. Oh, wouldn't it be so much fun to be one of those that we get to name a bird? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm not sure what I would name a bird either. to think about. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting, too, to think about the Bullock's Orioles and where did they get their name. So back in the early 1800s, there was an ornithologist by the name of William Bullock, and his son was helping him, and his name was also William. And uh, they were studying all sorts of birds in the Mexican area uh, back in the early 1800s. So one of the ornithologists who was taking all of the, the notes and the study skins that Mr. Bullock and Mr. Bullock were collecting and uh, trying to document this other gentleman who was an ornithologist whose also name was William. So lots of William back in the day. I found that very interesting. He decided and wrote in a journal that the Bullock's Oriole, he said, this is one of the most beautiful of the group yet discovered in Mexico from what the Bullocks were doing. So he decided, in honor of them, he would name the Bullock's Oriole after them. There you go. And very, very appropriate. These guys do spend the winter, they are one of our, our big migrants, they do spend the winter in Mexico and Central America and, and come back here during the breeding season to raise their families. You know, one of the interesting changes that we've noted and, and watched over the years is we seem to have more and more uh, Baltimores um, and, uh, hanging out in uh, the U.S. 
during the wintertime. They're kind of uh, hanging out along the coast, uh, Florida, and we've actually had reports uh, even up into, uh, what, the New England area uh, during the wintertime along the coast. So kind of a different, uh, again, is that something that's actually changing or is it the fact that there's so many more people watching birds anymore that they're actually reporting them and we're just finding out what they've always been doing? It's a good question. Don't know that I have the answer, but definitely the trend is we're seeing more and more uh, along the uh, East Coast of the Baltimores during the wintertime. Yeah, that has been a big question you and I have been asking, you know, <laughs> Are the birds really changing their territories and and perhaps they are or is it just that we have more people watching and we have much better data now i uh, don't know but you know bullock's orioles uh, they're very much a, a summer species throughout most of the western united states and get up into a little bit up there into canada uh, really fun to see them coming in but they're spending most of their time down in southern mexico and a little bit of central uh, central america you do get a few that are also kind of similar to the Baltimore. They're hanging out on that uh, Southern California coast during the winter time. Really interesting. It'd be so much fun to have Orioles year round, wouldn't it? One of the cool things, and I, I've been very fortunate to have a chance to go to Central America a couple of times on trips. And then one of the really cool things in the winter time is to see our Orioles, ours, quote unquote, our yes. Orioles, <laughs> hanging out uh, in, in Central America. And again, when they're there, they feed mostly on uh, tree flowers and other types of flowers, uh, tubular flowers, where they can get in and get the nectar. And I had a chance, like one point in time, I was watching a tree that probably had five, six different Orioles and they're hitting the blossoms on that tree. Uh, they'll also hit fruit. It's always interesting too. They're following the typical spring migration for most of our songbirds, um, east and west. And so they start showing up April, May, and uh, what's so interesting is they get right to nesting and by the time they're done nesting migration actually starts way earlier than a lot of our other songbirds they're actually starting to migrate back down to their wintering grounds as early as july that's kind of crazy to think about because most of the others are going to stay in another couple of months but august is is a, a peak migration time for the orioles but they will definitely start about july very cool. So when they come back here, they kind of, as Brian was saying, they come back here and they kind of change their feeding behavior. And, and you see this because they are nesting and they are raising young. Uh, whereas in their wintering grounds, they're predominantly fruit and nectar feeders. Uh, here, they kind of switch over to insects and feed a lot of insects to their young and themselves. Uh, so that's kind of a cool thing to watch in the sense of, uh, if, you're, if you're a caterpillar and you do not want to get eaten by a bird, one of your best defenses is to be a hairy caterpillar with lots and lots of spikes and hair sticking out of, you know, all over your body. Most birds do not like those types of, of, of caterpillars. Guess what? Orioles and a few others like our cuckoos, uh, our native cuckoos, black-billed and yellow-billed cuckoo, uh, have learned a technique <laughs> to feed on these hairy caterpillars. So they're kind of a neat one. So they'll feed on things like fall webworms and spring tent caterpillars, uh, gypsy moss, uh, things that most of the birds won't even touch. So that's kind of a neat thing to look for uh, when they do come back in the summertime. Yeah, it's also pretty interesting too that uh, the Baltimore Orioles uh, kind of specialize in those caterpillars and still do a lot of tree nectar and fruits. Uh, but the Bullock's Oriole actually are, out of all the Orioles, are one of those that they actually do a lot of insects throughout the year and especially in summer. Um, and their nesting time frame in that summertime, a lot of times will actually coincide 
with caterpillar um, or even grasshopper eruptions or once you have a, a ton of uh, those insects that are actually out and available and they'll, that way they're feeding their babies lots and lots of proteins and so it's it's a really good time frame for them you get this explosion of insects lots of protein feed those babies um, and interestingly too uh, one study found that with the the bullock's orioles there was a, a grasshopper explosion so many were out at one time and there was a bird found to have feasted on over 45 grasshoppers in just one day uh, I can't imagine. <laughs> I'm such a little bird. I need 45 grasshoppers in one day. Incredible. But one of the most incredible things about Orioles, if you have ever had the chance to see a nesting Oriole and going in, they make a beautiful, beautiful nest. It's it's literally an engineering masterpiece. Brian, I'm sure you've seen them. Oh, they're very unique. It's It's such a unique nest out there. They are making hanging baskets. Some are a little more shallow like a bowl. Some are a little longer, more like uh, kind of like a sock or something hanging down. It's all woven together. Different fibers, grasses, vines, tree barks. Some, sometimes it's string or yarn. Um, but one of the cool things is what they used to use, John. Something totally different than what you see the nest uh, being made out of today. Back then, horsehair. Before the age of automobiles, it appears that the vast majority of Baltimore Orioles harassed the horses and used their hair to weave their nests because they're almost exclusively made out of horse hair, which I thought was way cool. And actually, if, you know, if anyone wants to go out and try to find a nest, Orioles really like to nest in sycamores and cottonwood trees. A lot of times these are near water sources. You know, maybe there's a, a creek, a river, ponds nearby. So check out sycamores and cottonwoods, especially uh, as the, the Orioles are starting to work right now. The Bullock's Orioles, they don't make quite the masterpiece as the Baltimore. It's not as, not as long and, and more sock-like, but it's more cup-like. But it's the same concept. Most of the time what they're doing is they're taking long green grasses and weaving them together. I still just imagine taking the beak and weaving those things together and making such a nest, a cup, that is going to actually be able to hold number one the eggs and then mom sitting in there with the eggs and not fall apart and not just rip a hole in the bottom engineering masterpieces so that's loads of information about the natural history about orioles and the different species predominantly the two that we get in the east and the west hitting from us and canada all the way down into mexico and central america so a lot of fun a lot of information there but hey everyone wants to actually get them in their own yard so let's talk a little bit about that All right, well, yeah, let's talk about getting these beautiful birds to come to our backyard. So, again, it's a it's a big change over the years. It, it, I, you, know, you and I have both been doing this for a lot of years, and I would dare to say that for probably the vast majority, probably the, the two-thirds of our backyard years of bird feeding, to get an oriole in our backyard was, was not possible, but now it is. So, any tips? Oh, lots of tips and, and things that you can do to attract Orioles to your yard. You know, one of the kind of the, the old school thoughts was if you wanted to attract Orioles, you had to have the right kinds of foods that they really want to have out in your yard before they arrive. <laughs> Guess what? This last week, they've been arriving all over the place throughout the United States, and they're going to be hitting Canada soon. 
And that means they're already here. But what we've learned is you can still put out foods that they just need to be visible. And lots of foods, oranges, grape jelly, having nectar out there. Um, you can even get to offering them mealworms, but it's about making sure that food is very visible from the trees because Baltimore's generally like to forage up higher. And so they need to be able to see it. Bullock orioles will forage up high, but they actually will forage down lower. You know, they'll forage about six feet off the ground a lot more commonly than a Baltimore Oriole. So having those things be very visible. John, let's talk about some of those foods. Yeah, you know, one of the really important things I think really, and, I, and I've changed my tune on this over the years. Uh, I've had various experiences. You see a lot of people putting oranges out. And uh, for years, I didn't have a whole lot of luck with oranges, even though <laughs> my backyard was full of oranges on any tree branch and anything I could stick an orange on, a half, uh, half an orange. Uh, no, I remember seeing some of your pictures. And you <laughs> did. It was almost like you had a, a whole bag of oranges cut in yeah. half yeah. and posted on every post, every tree, every, every piece of yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I would. I threw the orange at them, truly. Um, <laughs> but orange the bottom is line, the new blast. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oranges uh, go to for a lot of folks. Grape jelly is definitely uh, probably one of their all time favorites. And it does seem, uh, again, and different people have different experiences depending on what part of the country and, and, uh, and where you're at. But, uh, you know, grape jelly seems to be the real go to for the, uh, for the uh, Orioles. And it seems to be what they stick with if they're nesting in your area and they continue to come to your feeders all summer, which, which I've been lucky enough to have the last couple of years. Um, they they kind of just seem to favor the grape jelly over everything else. And the third thing, the nectar, uh, you know, nectar's good. Uh, and it's just one more way to attract them. So I really do think one of the keys is having all three of those out. When you when you really try to attract them, do all three. Uh, we do have a really, our Wild Birds Unlimited Oriole feeder is a, is a really nice little feeder that you can combine all three of those foods and put it out there, in a, as Brian said, in a real visible location. Uh, where they can see it from the treetops and pick up on it pretty quick. And again, this has been a phenomenal Oriole migration year so far. And we're hearing lots and lots of people, what we historically would have thought late to the party, you know, getting their foods out late and, and uh, it's all working. They're finding the stuff and they're going crazy on it. So uh, definitely something that you would uh, want to try. Definitely. I would encourage anyone, hey, you don't, you don't have to wait till before they're here, just give it a go. Uh, you're just gonna have so much fun watching these beautiful, beautiful orange and black birds showing up in the yard. And one of the things that I really, really love about them is their song. Their calls, when they're talking back and forth, it's such a beautiful, beauty kind of a call. But it, it, when you listen to it, one thing always makes me think of how do you distinguish it between other birds. It's almost like they're smiling while they're singing and talking, they're so happy. <laughs> but then they have the exact opposite because they are really, one of the ways you can pick that bird out is they have a real kind of agitated rattle, you know, raspy, <laughs> yes. you know, you hear it a lot. So yes, they have this wonderful, it's like they have the split personality. They have this wonderful happy side and then they get really ticked off and rattle at you or whoever's in the neighborhood or whatever. So that's kind of a, a nice contrast too. Uh, one thing about the folks that quite often one of the questions we get is nectar. Uh, okay, what's the difference between hummingbird nectar and oriole nectar? And in all candor, that was all over the board for suggestions uh, from depending on what group or organization or individual you read. 
you know, there were all kinds of different nectar ratios for uh, Orioles. Of course, our nectar ratio for hummingbirds is one part sugar to four parts of water. And in uh, doing some extensive research on this topic, uh, uh, RWBU, uh, Wild Birds Unlimited Nectar, is actually our recommendation. It's, it's exactly the same for both. The, the concentration for the Orioles uh, and many of the nectar plants that they would go after, the different tree flowers that they feed on. I've got buckeyes blooming in my backyard right now, and the Orioles are all over the flowers of the buckeye. So it's, it's, it's relatively the same as hummingbirds. So the nectar, if you're making it up on your own, it would be the same thing. It would be one part sugar to four parts water. All right, so here's a fun thing you can do with the kids. You know, you're talking just a moment ago about nectar, four parts water, one part sugar, and you can do a little math with the kids. You know, maybe listen to our hummingbird podcast and similar thing, just do a little bit of math, four parts and one part make five, and then you do some other basic math. That's a 20% solution. So something fun and easy to do there. But another really cool hands-on thing to do, we talked about some of the nesting that the Orioles do. And they weave together a nest. So Hey, here's a little challenge. Go find some long grasses and maybe some string, maybe some other different materials and see, can you weave together a little nest? Maybe you start with a cup nest. Maybe you make it longer uh, and just have a good time with that and see, you know what? I think those Orioles are uh, pretty amazing engineers. <laughs> 40 hours later, I'll have a nest. <laughs> but it'll be fun trying, right? Exactly. Well, one of the other things we're going to promote in our podcast every time, and that is really encourage uh, everybody to take a look at your backyard. I, my, little, my little saying for this is, can you imagine if everybody's backyard or everybody's entire yard was truly a backyard wildlife habitat, and, you know, changing over from the landscape look and the, and the green grass lawn to native plants and native trees and flowers and, and that type of thing, uh, it would make a significant difference. We, we do know uh, that um, our songbirds, uh, we've seen a fairly significant decline. Uh, some studies say 30% decline in the last 50 years in the population, the overall population of our songbirds. Uh, that's significant and that's a little scary. And, and uh, anything we can do to change that is really important. And one of the best things, uh, you know, Wild Birds Unlimited is, uh, our initiative this year really is a Save the Songbirds initiative. And we're partnering as champions with the National Wildlife Federation to promote their certified wildlife habitat program where you can actually have your habitat around your yard certified by the National Wildlife Federation um, because of its quality and habitat for the for wildlife, birds and other wildlife. Uh, so nationalwildlife.org or wbu.com both have wonderful information if you're wanting to do this and think about doing this. Uh, and it'll give you all the information you need to know about those native plants in your area and the things that you can plant to do things. I mentioned perfect relationship with uh, Orioles is that my Buckeyes here, I've got tons of Buckeyes. I have a little woodlot next to my house and there's quite a few Buckeyes in it and the Orioles are just going crazy over the flowers. And guess what? The timing of their migration is absolutely synced 
with when those flowers are in bloom. So it is this wonderful relationship between native plants and these birds that are migrating through uh, that we're seeking to get as many people to have in your backyards as possible. So consider having your backyard uh, certified uh, as a wildlife habitat by the National Wildlife Federation. So John, I know I had a blast today with Orioles. Did you have a blast with these Orioles? <laughs> Absolutely. I, you know, I, I understand this is an audio podcast and I wish we could show you pictures. And I would encourage everybody to uh, go to our WVU Wildlers Unlimited Facebook page and, and to uh, WVU.com and take, if you're not familiar with these birds, take a look at how gorgeous these birds are. And then you will understand why we're saying there's such a blast to have in your backyard. Well, I hope everyone had as much fun as we did because it is a blast to have those Orioles. So I want to thank everyone for joining us. Look forward to you joining us next time. Yeah, and on behalf of all of us here at Wild Birds Unlimited, we really do thank you for joining us on our nature-centered podcast. Uh, and as Brian said, join us next time. Our plan is to talk about woodpeckers. But as always, we'll let nature be our guide. Thanks, everybody. Take care and be safe. Thanks for listening to this episode of Nature Centered. To subscribe to this podcast, for show notes, or to connect with the Wild Birds Unlimited store nearest you, visit wbu.com podcast. Until we meet again, take some time to relax, enjoy the birds, get out in your backyard, and stay nature-centered. <laughs>